Very, very, very brutal. Most of the illustrated stories you'll see of Jesus will not show you that brutality. When that movie came out and hit the theaters, there were Christian people who refused to go because they heard about the brutality. There were non-Christian people who said it's wrong to show that kind of mistreatment. That is terrible. People who know the love of God would even try to show that. You see, most illustrated stories won't tell you about the brutality. They'll lead up to it and they'll keep it behind the scenes. Very, very brutal. I find no joy in showing you that. Before I recommended for my people to go see it, I think I saw that movie four times. In the theater, trying to get where I felt I could recommend to them to go. Evaluating even more than just the brutality part of it. But I will tell you this, the world will get more upset at the mistreatment of an animal than they will of the mistreatment of the Son of God. And the world will tell us, you shouldn't show that. And we're not trying to be sensationalists. That's why we give that warning. We don't want to hurt a child. But we need to know what Christ went through. I hate sin. God hates sin. We sang a song about God being our healer. Jesus died because sin is destroying us. It is destroying us inside our personal well-being. We cannot find peace and contentment. And many of us who can't find that attend church every week. It is destroying our relationships. Sin destroys relationships. And many of us who attend church every week, we know that. And sin destroys our children. And there's not any of us, whether we go to church or not, that is not seeing our children just being destroyed. I hate sin. And God hates sin. And I want you never to forget to what extent God, who became one of us, became a man, who allowed His creation to mistreat Him in such a brutal way. Why? Because He was going to carry our sins on Him. This leads up to that. Next week we will look at the crucifixion. And we give you the same warning and we'll mention it next Sunday so if anybody new comes. But I do not want you to forget what God has done for you and me. And as we are going through Luke, we've watched Jesus from His birth as a baby, through His experiences of calling people to follow Him, through seeing some of the joy, but seeing much of the hurt that He experienced as He lived His life, especially in the last three years. And now we're coming to... to the conclusion of Luke. And he's showing us just to what extent God gave Himself for us because He could do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And I'm telling you, unless you accept that fact, you'll never get over your guilt and shame. 
and you'll never find confidence in your potential for tomorrow. But you'll be pulled again by Satan back to your failure of yesterday or last year or when you were ten years old, younger or when you were a young person. Everything that Jesus did, only God could do for us. And we could not do for ourselves. If you heard Tim say, this is a church that loves. As pastor, if there's anything I'm going to always push, is that in the midst of people's wrong choices, we will love them. And if you come out of a traditional church, you will feel sometimes we're compromising because it's so much easier to point fingers and tell people how bad they are instead of open arms and saying, I love you. And God did not point fingers that day or during that season when Jesus walked the earth. He opened His arms and said, I know how brutal you can be. I feel that brutality. You see it. But I know your potential. But everything about this book we call the Bible and the New Testament tells us that potential can only be found by living and loving like Jesus. Anything short of that? And you tend to go backwards. That's true for any of us. So let's look at Luke and let's see what he says. So in Luke, the 23rd chapter, there at the 12th verse, I'm reading out the New Living Translation simply because it's an easier one for people who do not read a Bible regular. I've said my, my experience in the eight years connection has been in existence. It's not the best study translation. I know that. I know a little bit about the Hebrew and the Greek. But most folks don't. And so... For our Sunday experiences, I use this. I use this because it's easy for people to follow. Before we get into it, would you just bow with me? Father, thank You. Thank You for this time and these words that we will look at. And for what Your Holy Spirit will bring into our minds and into our emotions, God, help us to comprehend what You are seeking to communicate in this part of the story of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The twelfth verse says, Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. This is an interesting verse. We're not going to spend much time on it. Originally I thought, oh, I'd talk a little bit about Romans and Jews. and uh, that, that is interesting, but there's just not enough time. There's never enough time. okay? Because if I only went three or four or five verses at a time, we, we're going to be two years in Luke. We'd be a decade. Okay? But what's interesting is, Here is Pilate. He's a Roman. The Jews, they hate the Romans. They're looking for the Messiah to stand up to the Romans. Just like, now listen to me. 
as an older adult, I hate what is happening in the last two generations. I hate that. That's how bad the Jews hate the Romans. They're looking for a Messiah to deliver them politically. I'm looking for the Messiah to help those people who in the last 60 years have so many issues in their life. They can't many evenings go to bed with peace and contentment, let alone experience family and marriage and find joy. And I look for that Messiah that makes that possible. And then you've got Herod. He's a Jew. The Romans just tolerated the Jews because they were a that landmass. And you got a person, a Roman who's hated, you got a Jew who's tolerated, and we're told they become friends. And you know why they become friends? Because each one was confronted with a decision in what to do with Jesus. And they both came to the same conclusion Jesus is not guilty of anything. It's interesting how sometimes common problems causes people who don't get along to become friends. It goes on in verse 13, Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined. The Greek word for examined means I've carefully scrutinized. I've talked to people. I've, I've evaluated all the information that I can gather about this guy. I've looked at the facts closely. And look what he says. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and I find him innocent. In other words, I don't see anything Jesus has done that's worthy of him dying. Not one thing. Verse 15 says, Herod came to the... Pilate speaking. He says, because we saw where he sent Herod. He's saying, so Herod came to the same conclusion. He sent back to us. In other words, Pilate's trying to back his view like we often do by by dropping a name of somebody who's considered important. He's saying, look, even Herod couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. And he goes on. He says in 15, nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. See, here is just two trials. One before Pilate. One before Herod. And neither one can come up with a reason why Jesus ought to be going through what He's going through. You see, because the world does not comprehend why what you and I saw occurred. And you and I, if we're not careful, all we see is that beating and we don't comprehend what it was about. And you are the reason. You. If the rest of the world rejected what God's potential is for their life, it's for you. They can't comprehend this. Goes on in 16, so I will have him flogged. In other words, he's saying, to sort of appease your vengeance, and I've talked about that in the last couple sermons, to appease your wanting to get revenge because you don't like what's going on, I will flog him. And I would recommend in today's sermon that you underline the next five words. It's the only thing I'm going to have you to underline in this passage. Because it is what we need to see. And it's the words, I will, then I will release him. Because you see, Jesus shouldn't be going through this. And whenever you read this, that's what you need to realize. 
if he shouldn't go through it, why is he going through it? As some people want to say, why didn't God intercede and stopped it? Because you see, it has to be done. Because my sin and your sin calls for it. But I want you to understand, when you read this, you need to see this shouldn't be happening. And so the question ought to be on all our minds is, so why did it happen? That's what makes me break up emotionally every time I see that. Because I don't see that for you. I see it for me. The flogging. The Roman flogging. What did it involve? A whip. Normally a short-handled whip so it could be controlled. With a number of tentacles, straps, leather straps. Some of those leather straps would have metal balls at the end of the straps. Purpose of that, so when you hit the person, it creates the bruising. You know, sort of like you're tenderizing meat. You've got to understand, the Romans did this. Crucifixion was not practiced until the Romans come along. The Romans did this. And it made it very public because it was to deter other people of following suit of whatever the criminal did. And on the other ends of some of the straps would be either metal hooks or normally they would be bone hooks, sheep bone hooks, sheep bone carved into hooks and they'd be on there. And see, when your body would get tenderized, then the hooks would grab a hold and pull. And it wasn't... We're told that in history, some of the Roman beatings, a rib might get pulled from the body because of the hooks. It wasn't an unknown thing to do. And its purpose was to leave the body lacerated. To leave the body marred. To leave the, leave the body in such a condition that someone would think twice before they would consider doing what that criminal had done. It was a terrible, terrible experience that the Romans used to try to get people, now listen to me, to try to get people to do what's right. I think we ought to flog people today. That works, doesn't it? Thank you, it doesn't. And you know what God did? God didn't say, you're so bad, I'm going to send lightning boats to destroy you. He opened His arms. And He says, I am going to show you how much I love you. Some of us older folks, we still think you've got to spank all those kids. I spanked my kids. I'm not going to argue that point. But many older folks who say that show very little love. They will come in, sit down, and talk to nobody who's 20 years younger than them. You want to know what's happening in this younger generation? Some of us are stuck in the older generation. But God is not stuck. That day, my God came as a man and He laid there as they beat Him and His veins and His muscles were exposed. The nerve endings were so traumatized that He would be in emotional and circulatory shock. 
He was feeling what none of us would ever want to feel. And He was doing it for us. Maybe you've seen pictures of Jesus on the cross. And those pictures show little blood. That's not the correct picture of Jesus on the cross. If you have your worship handout, there's a page with a date. It's got some blanks. Look at the first blank. Fill in that blank if you would. The true picture of Jesus at the time of the crucifixion would have been one of a bloody mess on the cross. Jesus' entire body would have been swollen and disfigured. A couple weeks ago, I was at the Good Samaritan Hospital here in our area. Waiting to be taken in. And so, I walked around and looked at the artwork. And I saw Jesus on a cross. Polished. Shiny. Beautiful. I thought that's the wrong picture. Jesus on the cross only becomes beautiful if you understand what He's done for you. But it was a bloody mess. A bloody scene. Look on the screen. I want you to look at what Isaiah said about this. What God wrote 700 years before it happened to tell us. And God has done this in His book because He wants us to know only He knows the future. So 700 years before, he said, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. That's what God says it's going to look like. That's why the passion of the Christ has probably been the closest to date. Hardly seemed, he seemed hardly human, and from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. He was beaten mercilessly and brutally for you and I. Look back in Luke 23. Look where you might have 17. If you're reading now the New Living Translation, there's no verse 17. If you're reading now the NIV version, it tells you it has a footnote. Or if you've got a newer King James Bible, the older ones don't do this because they didn't pay attention King James Bible was interpreted or translated 400 years ago in the late 1800s and the 1900s. We found more manuscripts of New Testament writings that tells us some things that might have been added in the King James Bible from manuscripts that weren't as old as what had been discovered were not in those older manuscripts and somebody's added those. But you can't get out of American psyche that the King James Bible may have words that weren't in the older manuscripts. And so, this New Living Translation and many newer translations will omit verse 17 because the overwhelming evidence of ancient writings tells us it probably wasn't there. There's a few places in the Bible that occurs. Hardly 0.10% of the Bible. So we don't have verse 17 here. If you've got questions about that, i tell you what, I'm a great guy to talk to. So just send me an email, text me, tell me where you're taking me out to get a hamburger and fries and a soda and you're buying, and then we can talk. See, I'm for that. And I've never, I've always given that offer. 
Okay? Okay. Let's go on to verse 18. It says, Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. And Luke tells us who Barabbas is. Look at verse 19. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. You see, Barabbas is, Barabbas is honestly guilty of what they're trying to say Jesus is doing. Treason. Overthrow the Roman government. Jesus is innocent. Barabbas is guilty. This is a good example of vengeful people. Listen, vengeful people, vengeful people don't get concerned about how much hurt they cause. They only want to be sure that their position is the position that prevails. And so here you've got these people who do not look at truth. They just want what they want accomplished. Look at verse 20. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release them. In other words, Pilate knew that it was Barabbas that ought to be convicted and crucified. It shouldn't be Jesus. But reasonableness, rationale, it doesn't prevail here. You see, because Vengeful people tend not to be reasonable people. I hurt your family. You will forget much of my love because maybe I did a mistake that hurt your family. Doesn't validate my wrong action. Doesn't okay my wrong action. I should be accountable for my wrong action. But you refuse to love me. See, vengeful people, they only are concerned about what they want. So Pilate, he knows what they want is wrong and he argues with them. We sort of got a scene of that in the first video if you were here at the beginning of worship. Verse 21, but they kept shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him. For the third time He demanded, why? What crime has He committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged and then I will release him. This is the third time Pilate spoke this conclusion. He spoke it in verse 4. He spoke it in verse 15. And now he's speaking it in verse 22. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. Fill in that blank. Pilate knows that Jesus does not deserve to be crucified. Why will it happen? Will happen for you, for me, our sin. These Jews don't see their sin. Isn't it amazing? God's people, they don't see their sin. And you know what's sad sometimes in the church? That I would sit in judgment talking about everybody else's sin but refusing to see my own sinfulness. And when I don't see my own sinfulness and understand the love of God for me, I tend then not to give that love of God and offer it to the sin I see in other people's lives. And it's always easier. It's always easier to see the sin in somebody else's life than on our own. Jesus talked about that earlier. Luke told us. Verse 23, but the mob shouted louder and louder. No rational conversation can take place with vengeful people. I'm telling you. 
All I learned you say is, I'm sorry, I love you. I'm sorry, I love you. Because you can't, you can't do any rational, reasonable conversation when somebody only wants their way. You ever raised a kid? Rationale works all the time when they're irrational, doesn't it? Grandpa, you holding that little bit, that, that two-year-old? Honey, quit. Please quit fighting me and crying. I'm doing everything I can. Kid stops and thinks, you know, let's be reasonable about this. I think you are, Grandpa. So I'll stop. Now that kid wants its way. And sometimes two-year-olds or 40 and 60-year-olds Twenty-three says, demanding that Jesus was crucified. Oh, I hate this. And their voice, their voices prevailed. Why do I hate that? Because I've been forty years in the ministry now, or somewhere. It's over forty, but somewhere in there. And you know what? I hate it that the mob or the group, if they can talk loud enough, they will prevail. They'll do that in a community, but they'll do that in a church. If they can raise enough stink, they will get their way. Because you see, to stand up to a mob or a group, because a mob isn't always a thousand people, could be five, ten people. To stand up to a mob means you take a chance of making yourself vulnerable. You ever been in some situation where you're wondering, why is this even going on? Why is this happening? Nothing that serious should be bringing about what the ramifications are. If we continue in this direction, and maybe even say it to some people, but you see, for them to join and say, why don't we just stop being this mentality means you make yourself vulnerable that they will attack you. See, their voices prevail because I told you the last time I preached on this. Pilate has already been warned. If there is a riot in the Judea area, you will lose your position as governor. He's not the first politician afraid to stand up against the wrong position of the populace. And as I told you, history tells us eventually they did remove him. Because he was on shaky grounds, so their voices prevail. I'm telling you, sometimes, sometimes I talk too much whenever I'm trying to defend that we need to be loving. And I think I talk an awful lot because I'm afraid that the group I'm talking to is going to reject what I'm saying, so they'll reject me. I know that's what goes on inside me. And I have to remind myself, just be quiet after a while. Because you see, none of us want to be vulnerable. None of us want to be attacked. These people, their voices prevail because Pilate refuses to stand up. And ultimately, he denies Jesus. And when I refuse to stand up, when you refuse to stand up for what God would want, whatever that involves, in sexual experiences, in personal mistreatment of each other, 
in how we use our time, our thoughts, our money, when we refuse to speak up because the voices say, we're going to not like you, then we ultimately refuse to stand for Jesus, just like Pilate did. 25 says, And as they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wish. Look at the next blank in your message map. It's the middle one. It says, If a person or a group wishes not to see God's truth before them, then they will do what they want and refuse what God would want. See, it's when we refuse to see truth. I've said some very bold things this morning to older folks. Because I'm an older person. Young guy say this, older folks say, you haven't lived long enough. You don't know life. Because I know some of you older folks have a great deal to contribute. And you allow yourself contribute to everything else in the world that will not last for eternity that is temporary. Sports, flowers, houses, vehicles. When God needs you to help with what will last for eternity. People. When we hear the truth, it's before us. And we don't want that truth. We will refuse what God wants from us. We'll cave in to the easy over the faithful. Look what he says in 26. As they led Jesus away, this is just going to be outside the city of Jerusalem. Oh, depending on who you read, maybe a half mile, maybe a mile walk. Let's just say about a mile. The prisoners are going to be taken off a cross and they're going to be, I mean, prisoners are going to be taken off where they're flogged and they're going to carry the cross beam to where they're going to be crucified. So, so Jesus is going to have to walk about a mile. And look what it says. A man named Simon who was from Cyrene, that's the capital of North Africa, okay? That's why often he's portrayed as an African American, okay? So he's from the capital of North Africa at that time. And why is he in Jerusalem? Because he's a Jew. He's a Jew. I think it's amazing. Whenever I was a boy, I think Sammy Davis Jr. said he's a Jewish convert or something. It's been a long time. And a lot of us white folks were shocked. Black Jew? Well, if this is where we get this guy was an African American. And why is he in Jerusalem at this time? Remember, this is Passover. Every Jew that can would take this pilgrimage because we're in Jerusalem remembering, listen, how God delivered us from captivity. And that's important to understand because that's what they're going to recognize the Lamb of God from the Egyptian experience of deliverance. And Jesus is the Lamb of God from the deliverance of my sinfulness that keeps trying to pull me down. I just can't get away from that. That's why again at Connection we say we're not really concerned about where you've been. I mean, you've got to deal with your past. Don't get me wrong. That's why we do ministries like CR. We're concerned about where you're going. God, take care of the past. 
and help you in the future. Well, it says, He happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized Him and put the cross on Him and made Him carry it behind Jesus. And we're not sure why they put it on his, on his back, but they just said somebody's got to carry this because apparently Jesus can't carry it. When you see in the scenes, He falls and water's broken to Him and all that. A lot of that's just... We're just subjective. We think that might have happened. But we do know that for some reason Jesus is not able to carry the cross. He's been beaten. Remember Pilate's statement was punish him. Okay? He's flogging him because he doesn't think he ought to die. So he's hoping the flogging would appease the people. And so Jesus has been beaten rather severely. And yet, he can't carry we would say his cross. And it's a misconception. And some movies show it. I think even the Passion for Christ does it. They have Jesus carrying the entire cross. It's, excuse me, you study. You always got to study the evidence. The evidence of the time says it's not the cross. It would be just the cross beam. And so he would be carrying that cross beam and it's too heavy. Some people estimate it'd be as much as 100 pounds. I guess after you've been flogged, that'd be hard to do. I'd have trouble carrying 100 pounds a day after my experience the last couple of weeks, see? So Jesus can't do it, so they get this guy. Now, let me stop for a minute. I'm going to give you my insight here. Excuse me. My health's just not the best today, so my nose is really wanting to run. Excuse me. Why is it a guy that hasn't been walking with Jesus carrying the cross? Where's the close followers? Where, where, where are those men? Matter of fact, we're going to see later. You know what? They're hiding. We're going to see some of them running out of town saying, oh, we thought He was the Messiah. You see, when you, when you seem to come up short, when it seems like you're being persecuted, when it seems like things aren't going your way, you tend to abandon Jesus. And it sure doesn't look like Jesus is in charge here. I mean, so He can make a blind man see, but we were right before these people. How come He can't stop this? How come He can't stop the pain in my body? And some people just deny pain. So what they do, they misquote Isaiah. This is by His stripes are healed. Okay, and that's another thing. Buy me a hamburger, a fry, and a soda. We'll talk about that. But where are those guys? Why is it a, a stranger that's called upon to do this? Today, we're asked to carry crosses for Jesus. The Scriptures teach it. I'm going to show you a verse in a little bit. We're asked to carry crosses. Crosses are not something that, is, that you are forced to do. It's something you voluntarily do. Somebody says, Jesus was forced to do this. No, no, no. He didn't have to step out of heaven. He volunteered. Okay, you follow with me? i got a cancer. That's my cross to carry. No, no, no. That was forced on me. Cross is what you say I will do. And a cross is always burdensome and it's always uncomfortable. That's what it is. Be careful. Be careful from getting away from Jesus because if you do, you'll find 
your refusal to carry what's burdensome and uncomfortable in the way of actions that God can use you to do. And you will justify why you shouldn't do it and somebody else should. It goes on. It says in 27, a large crowd, a large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. You know what I like about this? Because it's easy to read this. And I've said many times in these eight years, we tend to read the Bible. We want to get through the book of Luke, so we read real fast. And I want to get through the 23rd chapter, so I read it real fast. He, he talks about the grief-stricken women. Not the grief-stricken men. The grief-stricken women. Okay? The Bible always, listen, the Bible always reminds us of the nearness of women to the cause of Christ. It always does. If you take time to read it. If you read it too fast, you won't see it. And you women, you have to go to a women's Bible study to get some woman to remind you how special that is. Us men ought to be reminding you how special women have been to the cause of Christ. See? Men tend to put women down. We should not do that. We should lift them up. Listen, every husband is to die for his wife. I'm going to tell you young gals this. Or you single gals. Don't stay with a man that does not honor you. He shows dishonor to you, let him go. And you know what I mean about honor. Here we see these women. They're following close and they demonstrate this experience. They demonstrate this is so touching to them. It's sad. It brings tears. Women are close to the crucifixion itself. Other than the Apostle John, we don't even know where the other guys are that was with Jesus. The women, listen, when Jesus comes down off the cross, the women are the ones who prepare the body. They put on, on Him as an encasement over a hundred pounds. The women are the ones who follow Jesus being taken to the tomb. The women, the women are the ones who are the first witnesses to the resurrection. The women are the ones who are the first ones who spread the good news that Jesus who died has rose from the dead. The Bible always reminds us of faithfulness of women. If you've been with us for very long, I've always tried to raise that. Look, look at the last blank on your worship handout. I don't know how often this is done. I try to do this way ahead, and it definitely was done way ahead now because I knew what was going to take place in my surgery a week ago Wednesday. But I kept thinking, I'm taking this out. I'm not going to put this in here. And even last night, woke up 2.30 with pain, took a Tylenol, and I thought about this. I thought, you sure you want to leave this in there? Too late now, Mike. You got it on the screen. Well, they'll take it off the screen. Ah, you printed it in the worship handout. I'll make up new worship handouts this morning and fold them myself. No, you won't. So look at this. Last blank. From my experience, if the church was left to men only, it would not stand very strong. The church has good men. Boy, Connection has good men. You know who I'm talking about. We got good men. 
But women have been the energy for the ministry of the church. One of the things about connection, as long as more men keep being the energy, I think there's no stopping what's going to happen. But we keep turning it over just to the ladies. Men, don't look back and say, what happened? Bad preacher. Can't preach very good. So I wrote, I invite you, Mr. See, I was afraid I was going to make some men mad. I invite you, Mr. Step up. Take up your cross. Something that's uncomfortable. Something that's burdensome to you. Make everything about this church called Connection Glorious for the Lord Jesus Christ. When somebody steps on this property or they experience a connect group, men, step up and make it glorious for Jesus Christ. Stop and think in your connect group. Is it the ladies that do the greeting? Stop and think when it comes to this experience. Or is it the ladies that have to carry the load? And I'm not telling some man to go take care of some baby that's going to throw up all over him and make him throw up. If you can't stand that, stay out of that kitchen. But I invite you, mister, step up. Take up your cross. We're talking about what Jesus has taken for us. It's what I take out of this should speak to us. Look on the screen. Look what Luke, what Jesus said back in Luke 14. Okay? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, you must. Not, hey, I'll give you a choice. What do you think, fella? You got time? What do you think, lady? You got time? Because this is to all Christians. This isn't to men. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother. Wife and children. Whoa. Brother and sister. Yes. Here's the big one. Even your own life. Well, I have a right. Well, go play some golf. And I think you ought to play golf if you got that opportunity. But don't put down your cross. Even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot. Look what Jesus says. This isn't me, folks. You can say, boy, Mike Davis. No, this is Jesus. It's just we'd read this real quick and never see how does it apply to me. He says, otherwise you cannot be My disciple. And He says in 27 in that passage, 27, and if you do not carry... It always goes back to a cross because a cross is burdensome. It's uncomfortable. And if you do not carry your own cross, see, you can't carry mine and it'd be wrong for me making my cross your cross. We may share the same cross because it requires two of us to carry it. But it'd be wrong that everybody has to carry the cross like I do. Because everybody says, he's just trying to make us all whatever they say. But understand, this is God's people. There are crosses to carry. And churches are floundering. Because men are refusing. Women are refusing. Young people are refusing to carry the cross. They're getting on with life, but they're refusing to carry the cross. And If you do not carry your own cross and follow Me, you cannot be My disciples. And He says, but don't begin until you count the cost. And the verse goes on to talk about that. Because there is a cost. That's why I left that in there. First left, took it off. Thought, well, i got to explain too much. Listen. There's a cost to attend a church of God's people. And you may attend it for years and never pay the cost, but somebody pays it for you if that church continues to be healthy. There's a cost.
Look on the screen, Matthew 7. Matthew put it this way. Jesus said this, Not everyone, now look at this, not everyone who calls out to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of My Father in heaven will enter. Leave it there for me. Don't change it. In other words, I can't tell you everything that God's will is for your life. There's a few things God's will is. God wants you to give Him money. Now, if you can find His, His deposit box somewhere, you can give it to God there. Okay? He does say take it to the local storehouse. Okay? God wants you to give Him time. See? God wants you to be, if you choose to say I do, God wants you to be His mate in your marriage. If you choose to conceive children, because you choose that, you say, well, I didn't mean to, but you chose it if the conception takes place. Then He wants you to be the kind of parent He wants you to be. And if you're the child born into that, there's things the Bible says, God wants you to be as a child. Obey your parents. See, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only, look what Jesus says, this isn't me, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Verse 22, He says, On judgment day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in Your name. Look at this. We, we, we were like Mike Davis, man. We preached. Look. And cast out demons in Your name. Man, we were like Benny Hinn. We cast out demons. I'm not trying to put Benny Hinn down. You just name whoever it is that's got your attention for casting out demons. Slay in the Spirit. Get rid of those evil spirits. He says, and perform many miracles in your name. Our problem is we don't have enough miracles. Man, I am a miracle. Do you know I'm nowhere like I was ten days ago? But those people who say, oh, that's not enough supernatural stuff. He says, I don't care if you do all that stuff that the church is getting caught up with. But you're not doing what God wants you to do. Look what he says, 23. But I will reply. Or, yeah, perform miracles in your name, but I will reply. I never knew you. Look, folks, taking up a cross, you can forget it real quick. But God's going to call you again to another cross, and another cross, and another cross, because He doesn't give up on you. Because you see, there is one or more for you, and you're the man, you're the woman who God knows need to carry it because you need it. If you're ever going to reach your potential. Back to Luke 23. Let's finish this. 28th verse. But Jesus turned and said to them, in other words, Jesus saw their concern. Here He is, beat down. He can't carry His cross beam, but He, he, he shares His concern. Okay? Look what He says, 28. Because He's talking to these women because they're real sad. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for Me, but weep for yourself and your children. Now let me stop. What He's going to say is interpreted many ways in the theological realm. It is. You read one person, you get it one way. You read. So I'm giving you my take, okay? I'm trying to, my interpretation, I'm trying to keep in context. I'm not telling you I know better than someone else. But look, He tells us the women are just grief-stricken. Okay? And so then He comes to this place that He talks about to them who are hurting. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for Me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Because I'm going to tell you folks, Jesus knows this. If we don't truly understand what He has done for us and get that into our lives, poor us, you poor women, you're going to meet men and it's going to be all about 
having a companion, that you're going to prostitute yourself to have that companion. So you're going to turn tricks so you can keep the relationship because it's all about the feeling and it's not about what Jesus is doing. Now I could say that about that and I could move that to older folks. Listen, it's going to be, if Jesus isn't kept in proper perspective, pretty soon every decision you make in your life is about yourself and your mate has trouble with you and your kids have trouble with you, but the worst thing is you have trouble with you. That's what He's trying to tell them. He's saying, look, don't be crying about what's going on with me. You see, because in time, three days, this is going to be over. And if they have faith in Him, they're going to know the better days are ahead. Because He has broke the chains of sin. Their future is bright. Anyone's future connected to Jesus has always got brightness in it. So He says, you know who you ought to cry for? You ought to cry for yourselves. Because if you ladies don't understand, and it applies to the men too, if you don't understand the importance of what I am doing here, your lives are going to be painful. And the worst thing is, your children will be painful. They'll hurt because you can't communicate to them what all this means. Dads don't ever expect to have a son who honors Jesus. If you don't carry your cross, moms don't ever expect to have a daughter to honor Jesus. If you don't carry your cross, oh, I know there's exceptions. My mom and dad never went to church. Here I am preaching But Jesus is talking about you want to know who y'all will cry for yourselves if you don't truly understand. And we should weep if we don't understand what Jesus has done for us and brings that into our lives and our family lives. We ought to weep for ourselves and our children. Because it's a sad thing to be a parent. You can raise them when they're little and you can keep pulling on their arms. You, you, You can hold them tight. I watched a basketball game yesterday, a bunch of little girls, and there was this girl that's oversized over all the other girls, so she's probably going to be oversized all her life. I feel sorry for her, not because of that. Some people are big bones, some people, God love them more weight than others. But she tried hard she could, and she just keep missing her shots. Now she could get the rebounds because the little things are trying like monkeys trying to grab a gorilla. And her mom was sitting over here because I could hear her talk. Shoot it! Shoot it! Shoot it! Every time her daughter would get it. And her daughter made one shot after, I want to say, 15 or 20 attempts. You know what I heard? I love you! And called out her name. Real loud throughout the gymnasium! Her daughter probably shot another 10 times during that game 15 times. Never heard it again. Because she never made another basket. You know what it is. You can have kids when they're little, but when they grow up, if, they don't, if you don't understand the love of God and you don't communicate the love of God, those kids are going to grow up and they're, they're going to love you because they're your parents and that's what God put in them, but they're going to have trouble showing you the love of God when you need it. And you just can't understand that because you've poured out your life for them. 
See, that's what Jesus is talking about. And look what He says. He moves from that. In verse 29, For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wounds that have, the wounds that have not bore a child, and the breasts that have ne- neither nursed. In other words, some moms do not experience the heartbreak of mothers who have been rejected by their children. And we're living in a day, we're living in a day, where mamas are just being tore apart. Tore apart. And so what does he say in verse 30? Look, it's all in context. People beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. In other words, it's going to get so bad that people are going to say, sometimes I think it'd be better off if I was just dead. Now you know whether you thought that or heard that. Sometimes I think it'd be better off than fighting this struggle in life and just be dead. That's what Jesus is saying. You know who to weep for? Weep for yourselves if you don't understand what is happening as you're following me through this experience. And it's only going to take them three days to find the victory. And I'm telling you, you ought to weep for yourself if you don't understand everything that we talked about in Jesus has been done simply for you. You! You're the one! This is a serious matter! And if you don't understand that this world's going to just put stuff all over your life that doesn't smell good and doesn't feel good, but if you can understand the love of God, you can rise above it. But if you don't understand that love, it's going to beat you down. And you'll find yourself, if you get to live very long, alone in your house thinking, I don't think my kids love me anymore. Oh, you'd never admit that to anybody. I don't think my mate loves me anymore. Oh, you'd never tell anybody that. But you're totally caught up in your loneliness. Now look what he says in 31. For if these things are done, and this again is open to, there are many theological ideas. I try to keep it in context. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? I believe this is a prophetic statement of Jesus in 30 A.D. or 33 A.D., depending on what the date was when He died, that Jesus is trying to tell those people and you and I is that if if people will not listen when the tree is green, green trees are alive, are you following with me? If they will not listen when Jesus is there in their midst, see? See? For if these things are done when the tree is green, in other words, you can't find joy in me whenever I've been here in your midst. What will happen when the trees die? When the dry? What's going to happen when the tree doesn't look like it's got life? Now let me tell you what it is today, two thousand years later. Where is Jesus? When's he coming back? It doesn't look so green today for you to take his position in your life. Because often it looks like you're going to get the short end of the stick. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If you can't understand what I'm saying when I'm here, what's going to happen when the tree gets dry? And we're in a society. America is a changing society. People who talk in theological terms say it's postmodern. That means it's post-Bible. People don't know anything about God, Jesus, or the Bible. And we see what's happening 
because it's dry. Look, I can't touch America unless, unless my marriage is touched. I can't touch America unless my children are touched. I can't touch America unless where I work is touched. I can't touch America unless where I buy my sodas and my food is touched. All that touch is with the love of God. If I can do that, then I can touch this culture we live in. Don't isolate yourself. Because we're living in a time when it looks like the tree is dry. Look, I do not want you to leave this morning saying, boy, praise God, what a great sermon. If I have a desire, I'd want you to leave by saying, oh my. Oh my God. Oh my God. I am sorry I refuse to be faithful in what You want. Because the power of this church will happen when God taps you. The source of what You can add to what His people is doing. I wonder. I wonder what hurts Jesus more. Was it the beating He faced 2,000 years ago? We saw it. He felt it as a human. Or might it be the personal rejection today of His people who got excited because Jesus became Lord and in their life gave themselves to serve Him. But today they say, I'm sorry. I'm pulling away. I wonder which hurts Him more. Let's bow together for prayer and then we're done. Father, thank You for the strength to do what was done here. Thank You for the privilege of being a part of the worship that has taken place since we started. Thank You for people who are Your potential for changing America. Help us, God, at Connection allow You to use us to do our part as Your people. Call us. Call us to our crosses. Call us to our crosses. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.